0: Hello and welcome once again to Yesterladies. I'm Dana. And I'm Heather. And Heather, what are we talking about this week? Well, Dana, this week we're talking about Susanna Moody.
1: Oh my goodness. Wow.
0: Isn't that exciting? And she's best (laughs) known
1: for being a Canadian author who wrote the book Roughing It in the Bush. Yes. So if you've heard of her before, you have likely heard of her in connection with that book.
0: Well, I think we can both attest, being um, former um, English literature majors in university that if you if you take a, an English degree at a Canadian university you probably are going to take some Canadian lit classes and if you do you're probably going to read Roughing It in the Bush or at least part of it. I didn't have to read the whole thing did you?
1: Uh, I did read the whole thing but I think that was a, a choice. Okay. I don't think I was forced into reading the whole thing. I think I, you're right it was an excerpt that we had to read but I had previously read the entire novel. Okay. Because I'm that big of a nerd and we'll, we'll get into it's not
0: actually a novel. It's well, that's kind of, true, not a novel. It's, it's kind of, like I don't know, it's autobiographical. Right. It's yeah. kind of half fiction, half non fiction, or not even yes. quite fiction. Right. Kind of novelized in some ways version of her yeah, life yeah, like a series of sketches and, yeah yeah
1: yeah well yeah we'll talk more about that
0: For sure yeah so all right so Heather uh
1: when and where was Susanna Moody born <laughs> well, I let me tell you this paragon of
0: <laughs> Canadian culture Canadian culture <laughs> uh okay
1: so she was born in 1803 in Bungay Suffolk England Um, and she was part of a large literary family. The Stricklands were very well known for their literary productions. Um, and I did not realize that. So when I started doing research, I was like, whoa, cool. It seems to me that there's nothing better than to be born into a large literary family. (laughs) (laughs) Like
0: that's the best. (laughs) I hadn't realized it either and that I felt the same way like yeah I feel like when I studied her in school that it was more we looked at her work and you know maybe we got a little bit I mean I knew obviously that she was an immigrant to Canada from the UK but I hadn't known either that she was a part of such a large literary family and how successful um some of her siblings were mm-hmm. they had a huge literary
1: output um and the the one biography that we were reading about her compared them to the brontes and oh yeah linked those two literary families and i thought oh how cool um, but yeah, her, she had a couple of sisters, Agnes and Elizabeth in particular, who became quite like internationally famous for writing the lives of the Queens of England, which I now want to read. I do. I added <laughs> it to my list. It's yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I got to get on, up on all the Strickling girls. Um, but they created a name for themselves as a family who wrote, um, historical biographies, particularly, uh, royal biographies and uh, kind of made a name for themselves. But what is neat is that she was born into this family, but the basically the children of the family started this literary literary reputation so right. it's not like the parents or grandparents had previously been publishing they all seem like very literary folk
0: but although it does seem um it does seem as though her parents her father maybe in particular were fairly progressive in terms mm-hmm. of their ideas of education for girls at the time and had i mean it mentioned right that um her father had a pretty large library mm-hmm. so i mean Absolutely. whether or not you know her parents actually published a row they were very much kind of literarily inclined inclined definitely
1: <laughs> and uh they she was originally the family sorry originally lived in london um but after her father retired from his job at the um docks there they moved to um a much smaller town um near the coast uh, in suffolk and they ended up purchasing a flemish style mansion called raiden hall which again now i'm like <laughs> we need to go visit that yes (laughs) sign me up for a (laughs) large mansion uh which came with a very large library and so like you said um the parents took a a strong interest in their children's education and and the uh, her mother and father basically tutored her her entire life and all of her siblings and she was one of the youngest daughters in the family so her older siblings tutored her after her Um, after they were old enough to do so so the whole family was big into education and and literacy and and this uh so you can see coming out of this milieu how they all got their start yeah absolutely Um, yeah so um she grew up in the countryside and you can see a lot of that influence when she starts writing these sort of countryside sketches um but her father also had a job um in a coach works uh, in the town of norwich and so he would live there for portions of the year so the kids would go with him or different Different, I guess, segments of the family would go with him mm-hmm. in different years, and they would live in town. So she got a bit of town life, a bit of country life, um, kind of a nice mix. Um, and so she starts publishing um, around 1818. 18. Um, her sister actually kicks this off, her sister Catherine, who goes on to be Catherine Partrail. Ah, yes, another we, big name yeah, so in We, we Canadian also know literature. in Canadian literature. So if you've seen either of them, you may not have realized they were sisters, but, uh, but yeah, they're big in... in intro to Canadian literature classes in universities. You've probably run into one of them. Um, So her sister, Catherine, publishes The Blind Highland Piper. uh, And it was the first publication in the family. So she kind of kicks this off. And all the sisters and their brother, Samuel, are publishing. Um, They have a lot of success with children's literature, ladies' magazines, gift books. Right. Those were big. They were big. And did you look them up? Or
0: had you heard of them before? uh, Yeah, I've I've heard of them before. And I mean, like Dickens, that was a big thing. For him, too. They were like, yeah, these very fancy <laughs> <laughs> editions of, I don't know, they could kind of be like collections of... Stuff right, and they were yeah these fancy I think illustrated, Mm -hmm. very lavishly bound and produced um, gift books for Christmas, (laughs) which I feel like we still have those. (laughs) I I was like I had to look them up because I didn't. Oh, you never heard of them? Never heard of?
1: Well, I probably have run into the term before, but I didn't know exactly what they were, so I looked them up and found that. And I yeah I was thinking about what. With the modern equivalent of that
0: was oh we totally still have those like i feel like at christmas time you go into chapters and like there's the display and they've got i don't know it's some kind of saccharine collection of Christmassy <laughs> christmas poems yeah. yeah yeah
1: they said they would often have the year published on the cover so you'd right. buy them for the upcoming they year call them annuals annuals yes yeah and uh and they sort of hit their peak at this point so they were uh, the Strickland kids were all publishing for these, this big sort of market of annuals that were were coming out, and they were almost always edited by women, and so they were, you know, sort of this very, like... Feminine. Feminine, yes. Yeah. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Fancy things. It was great. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I thought, okay, well, maybe calendars now. Like, you know, people buy calendars for the upcoming year, or... Like even this year's wish book coming oh. out, is sort of a big tome of <laughs> Christmas. I don't know. It's a tradition, right? It comes out. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, but you can you can also see sort of the avenues that women publishing at this time were channeled into, right? It seems natural that they would be successful in ladies' magazines and children's literature. And yeah. I was thinking, you know, I wonder if they would have been successful in other arenas had it been open to them or had they been encouraged mm. to go into, you know, sort of that. Because they seem very scholarly with all these royal biographies. And well, so, I...
0: I think I mean that's answered for us, right? Because Susanna and Catherine were both in later life very successful mm-hmm. with their very adult um, writings about the Canadian experience, the early Canadian mm-hmm. experience. I shouldn't say adult like that; that makes it sound like they're <laughs> 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 not quite what I meant. <laughs>
1: but it was for a for a more
0: for for a, a grown up audience. Yeah, yes. not for yeah. not children's storybooks. This is true. Meant for uh, adults.
1: We have nothing against people who write children's storybooks. So. No,
0: or <laughs> yes. people who write adult Adults. books. Oh, that's true. <laughs> nothing against either of them. Just you know what <laughs> yes. I mean. I'm yes. trying to anyway. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, Lord. moving on.
1: <laughs> so, um, all, almost all of the siblings are publishing at this time, and they're they're meeting with with reasonable success. Um, and Susanna publishes her first collection called Sketches from the Country, and it's uh, Sketches from Rural Suffolk Life. Um, and this sort of format of writing these little sketches about everyday life forms a model
0: for later when she writes Roughing in the Bush about right. Canadian life. So and um, I think kind of sets up her style of mm-hmm. um, very descriptive about people and describing personalities and, and behaviors. Like <laughs> and colorful characters. Exactly. <laughs> colorful characters. Yeah. She kind of specialized in colorful characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is
1: one of the things we enjoy about her. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. So. Uh, this is heading into an era of her life that I was also completely surprised to learn about and super pleased. Like when you're researching someone you already admire and then you find something else extra admirable about them and you're like, yes, they're even better than I thought. This was the moment for me. So, um, entering into the 1820s, Uh, Susanna got involved with anti-slavery and the anti-slavery society Mm -hmm. in, in England. And uh, she had been corresponding with a gentleman named Thomas Pringle, and he was the secretary for this society. And they first touched base because she was writing for a gift book that he edited. It was called Friendship's Offering. Oh, very nice. nice. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, so they, They started um, corresponding because of her her writing, but then it turned into, they moved on to the topic of anti-slavery and she got really involved and um, they started corresponding more and became friends. And there was even some suggestion that he might've been kind of a surrogate father figure Mm -hmm. for her. Um, So she ended up writing two anti-slavery tracks that seemed to do very well. Uh, One was called the history of Mary Prince, a West Indian slave. Um, And the second was Negro slavery described by Negro being the narrative of Ashton Warner.
0: The one, um, the Mary Prince narrative, Mm -hmm. I hadn't realized that that was Susanna Moody, but I'm pretty sure I read that one. I mean, it's definitely one I'm familiar with. I've heard of the Mary Prince uh, narrative. I did not know that that was Susanna Moody who hmm. was kind of ghost writing that basically for Mary Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that really I hadn't realized either that she was um, into abolition movements, and that yeah made me pretty happy as well. We're super impressed.
1: Yeah, Susanna. <laughs> so those were both published in 1831, and she continued her association with the society for for quite some time. Um, and th- this was described as sort of a period of humanitarian awakening for her. So she discovered this cause and, and really supported it very strongly. So in the 1830 and 1831, she starts visiting the Pringles, gets to know the family really well. Um sort of mingling with um sort of this London Literary Society. And she meets a gentleman named John Wedderburn Dunbar Moody. Oh who you might recognize uh, that last name is uh is soon to become her husband. So although
0: not immediately. Not
1: immediately. There is a very interesting period of her life coming
0: up and I knew you would love it. It's- <laughs> <laughs> the look I'm giving you, I think it's giving away it's- my feelings about it. Like, yes. It's I know that was my favorite fact was when my I my favorite fact. Like, oh my part. god. Susanna Mooney, you are the best. Like you rock. She has this like awesome,
1: just like, I don't know, single girl in the city year. And right? we were like, this was great. Okay, so she completely breaks the mold. It's like, let's set the let's set the period. This is 1831, and she is a single woman from sort of an upper or well like upper middle, middle class. Middle class family. Yeah. And she's literary and well educated and, and probably very respectable. What did she, do? she moves to London. She well, gets first, her own place. She, well, what else? They did get engaged, right? Yes. So they're engaged after right. meeting at the Pringles. Yes. Mm-hmm. So she meets this young man. Everything's sort of on track for just your normal pre-Victorian, you know, female life experience. Then she breaks the mold, uh, moves to London, gets her own place, starts publishing, breaks off the engagement with Moody yeah. and is like living the high life. She's getting published. She's making money. She's you know, moving in all these literary and artistic circles and like meeting all these great people and uh and basically i was really jealous of this life I know, in her me year it's <laughs> like me where too. was i i could have been Susanna's friend this would have rocked
0: so uh anyway, i think we agree this is like the best year for life <laughs> i yeah yeah it pro- in, in a lot of ways it probably was it's probably the most fun yeah for sure that i know it really <laughs> coming. like what we're so taken aback <laughs> i know you just don't expect that at this no, time and place not at
1: this time and place at all no i can't imagine her family approving and there's no mention of sister sisters
0: you know or or her her dad coming down or her well, brother or anything say that they didn't approve i mean right. they yeah, clearly there's... didn't stand in her way so that she couldn't do this so right. maybe they were okay with it yeah. i don't know i mean i'd love to know what poor john moody was thinking <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, like... and why the engagement was broken off temporarily yeah. because maybe um... he was drawing a hard line and saying like well no we gotta get married right away and you can't move out on your own yeah Susanna. yeah and she's like screw, screw you. you i'll do what i want <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i love this so much i know me too <laughs> so great
1: back and, to the podcast <laughs> back to the podcast one of, so one of the biographies described as she, she took quarters on her own in uh, the st pancras area of london and she was pursuing a literary career at this time so oh, great it seemed to be going really well she was supporting herself and this is wonderful so um anyway you go, girl! I know, right? <laughs> and during this year, she has her first uh, big collection of poetry published. It's called "Enthusiasm and Other Poems," <laughs> um, and it's published uh, this this year, as I mentioned. Um, so the theme was transience of all earthly things, Ooh. and it's very meditative, <laughs> uh, very emotional. Um, she had converted to a congregational. Um, uh, parish and so she had some religious leanings and so it was kind of outlining some of her religious thoughts and we see some of her personality come through in this now that's one thing that
0: i was reading that her um her conversion was not her parents weren't crazy about that her family was very traditionally uh anglican and um they weren't nuts about i mean congregational we should say is um that's like quaker right um, you know, kind of leanings Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, very much not kind of traditional Anglican in terms of form or even their beliefs and their expression of their spiritualities. So this was a big departure for her. And that was one thing. I mean, it's funny. I thought that was interesting that like, I didn't read anything about her family being disapproving of her leaving and being out on her own but they did not like <laughs> her new uh, religious leanings at all i hadn't thought about
1: about that at all <laughs> that's great and i read that her older older two or her two older sisters agnes and elizabeth were especially unimpressed with her mm. conversion so yeah it seems like sort of the upper the older members of the family parents and siblings not were not impressed yeah <laughs> what are you doing Susanna? <laughs> this is great so, um, all right. So things seem to sort of settle down and shake out. She patches things up with John, who
0: knows, or maybe John patches <laughs> things up with her. I know. Uh, I'd really
1: love to know. I want to know the backstory yeah. of that. Yeah. Like to be a happened? fly on the wall in yes. that
0: relationship and, and like, you know, what happened, what yes. drew them back together and made her ultimately decide to marry him and begin right. a more traditional, uh, female existence <laughs> yes, at the time.
1: Exactly. And later on in their life, there is a lot of evidence from her correspondence that they had a very satisfying intellectual and emotional mm-hmm. uh, relationship. So I like knowing that later yeah, on, like yeah. okay, she didn't get, you know, pulled back into this marriage that she she wasn't really enthused about.
0: Or no. it seems
1: like it was a very good choice.
0: Well her, we should so. mention too, I mean they met at the Pringles, mm-hmm. um, partly because Moody was himself literary and a writer, um, as well as being a military man. Um, he was a writer and later on, you know, they I read they edited a mm-hmm. yes, uh, I have a note on magazine that. or a paper in Canada after they had moved and they did that together, which I thought was really cool. Yes. I had
1: a note to mention that, that there was a whole year where they co edited yeah. and contributed a lot of the material for so I think um this publication. That
0: does yeah, that also points to a very Absolutely. satisfying, mutually beneficial um uh, marriage and and I'll actually point out right now too that um he contributed several chapters of roughing it in the bush as well. So, you know, that's, that's good. As you say, it's nice to know that she didn't abandon this like very cool single girl life to, (laughs) to a a marriage of, you know, just complete suppression of all of her (laughs) (laughs) literary and personal (laughs) goals and aspirations. Right. It seems like Moody was actually a pretty decent, decent guy and a well-suited partner.
1: Yes. It seems like she made a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, okay, so they get married on April fourth, eighteen thirty-one, and they begin by living in London. They move to Southwold, and about a year into their marriage, they realize that their economic situation is not what they hoped it would be. Um, John is on half pay with the with the military, and um, although Suzanne is bringing in some money from her publication, of course, it's not enough to survive on. So they kind of take a, a hard look at their situation, and they decide that emigration to Canada holds some some promise for them, and. I I was interested to think about that possibility, right? You're sort of mm, going down the economic slope in England, but if you immigrate to Canada, you can kind of place yourself higher on the ladder there, and just by just by switching to a different country, you kind of elevate your status
0: um, automatically. So that in was some ways, or at least that's the um, that was what was being sold. Yes, true. <laughs> uh, and uh, interestingly. Susanna later writing, roughing it in the bush and some of her other writings on uh, life in Canada. um, They kind of offset some of the literature that was being produced at the time to entice um, British people to emigrate to Canada. And it was very much presented as this utopia and, you know, all of the positives very much played up and the negatives of settler life downplayed. Uh, So there was a lot out there and she... Was reading a lot before they left. La- I mean, they all would have been. And I actually read somewhere that there was a bit of a Canada mania at this point, <laughs> um, as there should be. Of course, there should always be a mania for Canada. Um, but uh, at the at the time, kind of post War of eighteen twelve, and you know, in the in the years after that, in Britain there was this this kind of mania for. Canada it was seen as this utopia this beautiful forested wonderland which hey sure it is, it is. <laughs> it
1: is. but I think when she found herself clearing brush in yeah. the backwoods farm she was thinking hmm, maybe this is not a step fair up. enough
0: yes, <laughs> yes. I it, love Canada but I have never had to clear we have not we've never in the cord cleared this, brush so
1: <laughs> my mother had a short childhood experience experience clearing brush and she recalls it as horrendous well there you go there you go (laughs) when told she would have to do it for a second summer she sat down and cried oh no (laughs) i'm (laughs) going to assume it's extremely unpleasant yes yeah um Yes. It doesn't help too that Susanna's brother Samuel had immigrated to Canada by this point and mm-hmm. he was writing home with all these gorgeous descriptions mm-hmm. of the scenery and the landscape in Canada and he was uh, apparently traveling for the government um, and had invited her repeatedly, come, come and travel with me and move to the country and this sort of thing. So it doesn't help that you have a personal lure. Right. Or rather you know. it did
0: help, I guess. It did. I guess it did.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it makes it much more enticing when you have family already yeah, there they have
0: a family connection it's painted yes. as this beautiful place where you can make your fortune and it's still a british um, colony yes. basically at this point or well not quite a colony at this point but yeah i don't know it's it's yes. upper canada it. it's what would become the dominion of canada in another 30 or so years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. and
1: at the same time um her sister catherine decides to immigrate as well so you can see kind of at least three of the kids going okay we've yeah. got that sort of momentum to carry us It definitely along. would make it easier i think Very to much, know that
0: you've yes. got some siblings and their families
1: yeah and we see that with immigration today right yeah. one member of the family will come and then and then others will join them so kind of the same experience uh and interestingly her husband john was interested in immigrating to south africa instead mm-hmm. uh and he ended up choosing canada to basically make suzanne
0: happy well okay i guess we'll go there i think you made me the right choice <laughs> uh yeah i yeah it depends on how you look at it i guess but um yeah south africa has a complicated history not that thought, canada yeah. doesn't yes. as well yes. but um Yeah, no, that would have been interesting. Yeah, right. It
1: would have been a completely different story. Yeah. Different book, different story.
0: Yes, absolutely. She would have been a South African uh, literary paragon. (laughs)
1: And if you are attending literary courses in South Africa, (laughs) you would have
0: had to read her book, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, probably. (laughs) So who who knows what might have come from that. (laughs) So uh, she described it as a very emotional decision to leave. You're leaving behind almost all of your family um but the economic prospects especially for their children were much better and by this time they had their first so right the daughter right so they sailed with their eldest daughter um from liverpool in july of 1832 uh they arrived near the end of august um so you can think about how long that journey would be with a small child and uh her sister catherine had sailed earlier in the year
0: Mm -hmm. so So we should mention where specifically uh, the Moody's settled. Um, And I've got a little bit of a Mm. personal connection to this. They uh, chose to settle, again, like we said, Upper Canada, which today means um, kind of mid-Ontario, mid mid to... I mean, I don't know. I kind of think of it as northern, but it's it's not really (laughs) northern Ontario. Northern Ontario is like north <laughs> way, <up laughs> way north yeah um so this is actually they settled near modern day peterborough and for those of our listeners who are not ontarians <laughs> peterborough is about an hour and a half kind of northeast of toronto uh driving um so of course that would be a longer journey by horse, by horse <laughs> yes. um, a crucial detail i think here is that they bought a cleared farm
1: when mm-hmm. they first arrive which i think is a very wise decision oh, yeah yes it'd be much better to settle on a farm that you can immediately start farming rather than having to clear the entire forest
0: first 100 percent. and yes. i sorry i was just gonna say mm-hmm. uh, about this specific location so uh their settlement was kind of in and around the peterborough area which is in the kawarthas the kawartha lake district and they were very close to a lake oh gosh Let's see if i can uh pronounce it properly here so they settled near or right on i guess lake kachawanuka Uh which is part of the system's system of lakes and it's actually it's funny because when i when i read that they settled near peterborough and i kind of had known that before but had forgotten well i called my dad this morning and said can you remind me again like Peterborough is near, and it's it's very close to this uh, lake. Again, part of the Kawarthas called Stony Lake, which is where my father and his family used to vacation every summer, yeah. and he vividly remembers uh, boating um, through the Kawarthas, and in particular, they would boat from where they would stay on uh stony lake which was a place called mccracken's landing isn't that great (laughs) that's so great so they would they would take the boat from mccracken's landing down and you kind of go a little bit south down through to um, um lakefield which was a town where they used to go and they would get ice cream and stuff and that's actually lakefield is the nearest actual kind of town that uh the moody's settled ah, right by so very nice yeah kind of thought, oh that's kind of cool ah, so and we've, I've, we've you know my family when I was little we didn't go every summer but we we did um at least once uh visit Stony Lake and it, I mean even just if you're not familiar with the area it is a beautiful beautiful area the Kawarthas are are amazing all the lakes and the the trees and the the vistas it's one of the one of definitely one of the beautiful spots in the province Mm. and uh, so it was a you know a lovely area to settle but again when you're like clearing that land or even even moving onto a cleared farm and having to deal with the brush and the farming and the just lack of everything Mm. um the beauty probably like it doesn't make up for everything after a while it's impact fades yeah <laughs> you're surrounded by mosquitoes and covered in sweat exactly Had a whole day of labor with very little yes. food very little food
1: <laughs> probably not very good food no yes absolutely um that's neat so where they once where they settled we now vacation
0: yeah exactly just, i know and now i'm like i really want to go Again to that to that area and, and uh see if I can visit the old Moody hmm. homestead or at least see that area and kind of try to picture what that would have been like That's at the sweet. time. That's yeah, sweet. I bet there's some kind of I would historical think there's a plaque or, or, a or a yes. something. Something. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of plaques everywhere. <laughs> have a lot of
1: plaques in Ontario. <laughs> yeah, we,
0: we love plaques. So I'm sure there's a plaque. There's probably plaque. at least a plaque. <laughs> Very nice. (laughs) Uh, All
1: right. So uh, the cleared farm, unfortunately, did not work out very well. Um, They ended up losing some money. The farm was not much of a success. Um, So within uh, a a year or two of arriving, um, they ended up selling the farm in 1834 and moving to an uncleared uh, plot in Douro, which was a backwards township. Uh, This is just now north of Peterborough. I do not know if I am pronouncing...
0: Oh, I don't know. I can't Warrow help you. Correctly, but <laughs> we're going to go with that. Sure. Uh,
1: so they've basically moved down a notch in farm life and now to the uncleared property. So starting mm. all over again would be really disheartening. And starting all over again, having to clear brush Ugh. sounds even worse. So, or clear the land. Clear, clear the land. Yeah. Oh, boy. So um, th- what was nice about this move, though, is that she was closer to her sister, Catherine Partrail, and her brother, Samuel Strickland. So nice to be closer to family, but now um, harder her manual labor. Um, And it doesn't take long. It takes only about five years before they just decide to abandon farming. Um, And this was triggered partly because her husband was offered um, the post of sheriff in the Victoria District. So Mm -hmm. today's Hastings County uh, used to be named Victoria District. So uh, Catherine's husband was the sheriff for a number of years uh, so, uh suzanna's husband you mean i'm that? sorry Susanna's <laughs> husband um so you can see i can only imagine how happy they must have been if they weren't enjoying farming and uh you know it's not going well and life is kind of drudgery uh to be offered this position and a sort of way out of this right. lifestyle So what year was this that they moved? So it was uh, 1840 that they moved to Belleville. He was offered the position in 1839.
0: Right. And they were there for a number of years, right?
1: Yes, they were in Belleville for many years. I think Um, upwards of 20.
0: Right. So kind of a town life. Yeah. So at this point, um, when they moved to Belleville, Susanna starts writing again. And I believe, you know, she was probably keeping some journals or making some notes during all that time that they were living in the in the backwoods in the brush or the bush i should say <laughs> as uh, she refers to it um so it's it's in these years that she starts compiling her most famous work and she wrote later on she would write other uh books uh one that kind of talked about their their journey their decision to emigrate and then their journey over and then um afterwards another one describing their life basically in Belleville, but. The uh, the one that she's most famous for, of course, is Roughing It in the Bush. And the full title we should mention is Roughing It in the Bush or Forest Life in Canada, <laughs> which is pretty great. So uh, this was published in London in 1852 and the Canadian edition I was very surprised to read didn't actually come out until 1871 oh. so almost 20 years later hmm. uh, before it made it to Canada now i believe i read that it it actually had american editions before it had the canadian edition um yeah she
1: was working on those in the 1850s to the 1880s was when they were being published but right. as early as as the early 1850s so much earlier in in the u.s than in canada
0: yeah, yeah. which is uh, again rather surprising but um canada was pretty backwards at that time <laughs> yeah just i guess less America publishers, was more established yeah. and so i suppose yeah. that's that's part of it um, of course no copies did make their way to to canada um probably british copies and I guess, maybe later American copy. So it's not like the Canadians didn't have access to it, but there wasn't a Canadian edition published in Toronto until 1871. Hmm. So um, as we were saying before, the, the form of the book is kind of, it's been discussed and debated and it's kind of described as part memoir, part novelization of her experiences. And it covers that you know, five to seven year period when they were trying to make a go of it farming. Um, so it ends up being this chronological series of sketches. Um, and as I mentioned, about three chapters were contributed by her husband. And basically, it's depicting their settler life in 1830s Upper Canada. Um, now, <laughs> it's interesting, people have commented that this this work it's in a lot of ways it's like some of the literature that was being produced to get people to come to Canada but uh Susanna Moody's vision (laughs) of Canadian life at the time was much more uh grim (laughs) (laughs) and in a lot of ways probably a lot more realistic yes um than these portrayals that had Canada depicted as this this just beautiful utopia where you barely had to touch the land and you fruits know. would fall yeah. from the trees and all sorts exactly of yeah. just absolutely amazing <laughs> a very diplomatic website i looked
1: at called it less optimistic less than optimistic. other pioneer chronicles <laughs>
0: yes absolutely <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, but it was it, it does stand to point out that it was less optimistic than her sister's account of, yes of that life in was canada. Uh,
0: i saw the contrast so Catherine partrail's book which was the backwoods of canada Um, I'm not sure if that was published about the same time Mm. or after or when exactly, but they were compared and um, Catherine's book was called more pragmatic and optimistic and she took um, more of a kind of a scientific um, view of what daily life in settling in the bush would be like and kind of the practical considerations whereas Susanna Moody which uh, apparently was much more in keeping with her character which was fairly melancholic and she would I don't she may have suffered from some depression at certain times in her life but she was a she was a more kind of mercurial temperament she would have big ups and big downs and uh, a little more pessimistic in her outlook so her her telling of this life was more emotional more pessimistic i guess Mm -hmm. and and that doesn't mean to say that it's not very realistic because it is i mean she depicts the the stuff that they went through in this very frank and vividly descriptive uh tone which is one thing that people have always pointed out that her descriptions are extremely um vivid as i said you know her both her descriptions of the landscape and of the people that they encounter um so one of the one of the things that really marks Uh, roughing it in the bush, is her her attitude toward particularly, I mean, she didn't love the Irish either. No one did. No one did. We were talking about this before. Everyone hated the Irish, ever. I'm I'm Irish, by the way. (laughs) I'm Scottish, which was much more a a much better (laughs) thing to be i'm (laughs) irish and scottish so
1: i could i could you know just play either side
0: i don't know your your last name is is more irish (laughs) (laughs) anyway um that was very common at the time this this prejudice against the irish and lasted for a very long time there's always been this kind of attitude about the irish Irish. i know it's very Not deserved at all, of course. (laughs) Um, But so she she didn't like the Irish. But even more so (laughs) were her (laughs) depictions of the American settlers. The Yankees. The Yankees. Yankees. Oh, those damn Yankees. Dirty Yankees. (laughs) (laughs) So these were a lot of Americans who had um, settled in Canada either before or during or kind of after the War of 1812. And I was kind of looking up. I don't know quite why there may have been more of a trend after the war of 1812 for americans to be emigrating to canada but i do know like right after the war of 1812 um of course there was huge anti-american sentiment in canada and probably britain as well because they had just been at war at war (laughs) um so there yeah they didn't the canadian settlers they did not love the Americans they saw them a certain way um and i mean these are americans who a lot of them were were loyalists who had perhaps moved after the american revolution or i don't know were avoiding the war in the us or anyway there were a lot it seems like a lot of their neighbors most of their neighbors maybe even were Uh, former Americans and she did not like them (laughs) now granted I don't know how much of her her portrayals were exaggerated but the way she writes about them yeah they didn't sound like great people
1: (laughs) (laughs) sound like all these losers
0: oh my gosh hanging out
1: around them and just causing trouble and
0: I mean I don't want to use the term white trash but (laughs) I was was gonna say hillbilly like it's kind of the backwoods Backwoods. yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's kind of the picture she paints
1: (laughs) which which is so funny to read now and because you know we have this sort of friendly animosity with the states right and yeah we always think oh the americans right and like what are they up to now and so it's so funny to read something from like the 1800s that's still condescending in a very polite canadian way like, yeah
0: although I, I,
1: I don't know if she would even be polite but well
0: i mean her and em- she she was meaner, I think, than... But again, I don't know. It seems like the stories that she tells about them... So, like, for example... Like, she couldn't have made all of this up. There no. I mean, she has specific yes. stories. So I don't know if it was just a, per, a certain personality type, a certain American personality type that liked to emigrate to Canada and just be, like, Settle. the worst neighbors ever. Settle so around them, yeah. all around them. I don't know. But these people did sound pretty awful. So she talks about... Um, one episode fairly early in in roughing it um they've they've just settled on their homestead and she writes like it's the first day or like barely even they've they've just moved and they're like unpacking and they're in this little hovel that they thought was going to be so much nicer and it turns out to be this like pigsty kind of a place and all of a sudden this <laughs> this like teenage girl shows up um, who announces that she's emily and starts immediately putting into effect this apparently local custom of borrowing things i i'm saying borrowing with air quotes because it was this system that Susanna moody came to quickly realize was not so much borrowing as just like absconding with (laughs) taking just taking all of their stuff so like she shows up and i love the way so the method I guess was this this Emily shows up and she's very brash and very Susanna Moody being this proper English girl is completely taken aback and horrified by this ruffian's behavior who and then says to her that I'm just as much a lady as you are kind of a thing just dressed in rags and she's like her knees are showing and like her dress is really low cut and uh
1: so what would have been basically a street prostitute in london <laughs> yeah. is now showing up on her doorstep claiming take, to be a taking lady. her stuff <laughs> yeah. and telling her they're the same yeah
0: so this girl shows up with this um like glass decanter and says, Here, we're uh my father wanted me to send this over to you. We're gonna lend it to you for your whiskey. And Susanna's going, Well, thank you, but we don't need it. That's okay. Thanks. We we've got our own bottles. We're okay. We don't need it. And she's like, No, no, he told me to leave it. I've got to leave. I've got to leave. And she puts it down and leaves it. Susanna's like, okay. So the next day this girl shows up again and says oh we need that we need that bottle back and susanna of course goes oh yes of course i didn't need it i didn't use it so here it is and emily prene- <laughs> proceeds to say okay well you're not going to give it back to me empty are you that's just <laughs> cheap and rude basically <laughs> so Susanna realizes you know what the what the ploy is here and has to give her uh, I guess they didn't have any whiskey she had to give her rum that they were saving for the workmen or something I don't know so Emily goes away with this full bottle of rum and then proceeds to show up like every single day afterwards <laughs> with more demands to borrow all of these things which of course are never returned or are returned in such a terrible condition and so at, later on they go on to meet and this is just the best name ever they meet emily's father who goes by the name old satan (laughs) and old satan apparently on the very first day that the moody's get their brand new plow that they desperately need to break up the soil to start farming this very rocky soil and they really need it so he shows up on like the first day they get this and old satan takes it away (laughs) and uh just when they most need it and then finally returns it just completely destroyed so (laughs) and they learn later on that old satan had his own plow that he didn't want to like mangle on the rocks that he needed to bust (laughs) up in his own fields so he took theirs and then returned it so this is the the kind of things they're dealing with and so she's painting this picture of these these yankees being very deceitful and dirty and rude (laughs) (laughs) borrowing all their stuff (laughs) just awful neighbors so uncouth the worst neighbors you've ever had later on she talks about um okay and i was thinking of another thing too um she was she She later on she speaks about this old Betty fye who shows up and says, "I'm old Betty fye and I want this, and I want that," and like borrows this and that, so it was making me laugh because Susanna uh is announcing all of these Americans, and they all go by old old so and so old so and so and it made me laugh because it's kind of a family, my grandfather. Always used to call everybody old so and so and it's dismissive <laughs> to all their neighbors <laughs> on the street. Well, that's old Norm and that's old so and so. And it's kind of dismissive, you know, frustrated.
1: <laughs> maybe they had been borrowing from him and he felt maybe he felt disgruntled maybe that was it like we always Savannah. laugh
0: about grandpa's attitude to all the neighbors but maybe that was it maybe they all borrowed his stuff and somebody came over for the plow one time yeah the lawnmower yeah. he brought it back in terrible <laughs> terrible disrepair so old satan and old, old betty sweet. are not very good neighbors <laughs> it just
1: sort of gives you a superior chuckle when you're reading it
0: like yeah. <laughs> oh it's crazy americans oh, it's crazy americans <laughs> but so all of this of course you know is part of the very vivid descriptions and she she does have a way of putting it and it's quite one of the things that everybody points out about roughing it in the bush and it's true is that it's quite amusing mm-hmm. in par- i mean obviously in other parts it's really rough it's really you know hard to read they go through awful you know circumstances there's and house fires yeah, and oh god there's all kinds of stuff that happens it's terrible to them. Yeah. it's really really yeah. a, a rough time and yep. she depicts it as such but throughout it all there's this kind of irony this kind of um comic tone and i think it's to me it's it's her looking back on this experience being you know quite a few years removed from it and reflecting reflecting on what that was like and she's in at some points you can see her kind of almost um laughing at herself and her own attitudes and her own feelings at the time whereas it's you know it is very it gets to points where it's very sad and hard to you know she's Having a rough time, and she's faithfully depicting what she was going through, but at the same time, you can see that she's looking back and she's kind of reflecting on that mm-hmm. experience and and realizing the humor that was in it, even though she couldn't see it at the time. Right, it's definitely retrospective, very and, retrospective. And they
1: talked about the fact that that humor helped it be as as successful as it was. That you know, she wrote other books, as we said before, a prequel and a sequel, but they didn't do as well. And uh, and her sister wrote as well uh although her book isn't as well known so Mm -hmm. they were saying the fact that this humor um and this humorous ability to poke fun at herself in these previous experiences kind of contributed to that popularity so yeah absolutely
0: um so okay so the the book goes on to tell the these years on the farm and kind of ends as they're leaving for Belleville um so during this period she talks about having two more sons in addition to the little little baby daughter that they had when they arrived um some of the other incidents she writes about snow blowing into the house through cracks in the walls and she talks about their experiences with very little food um and underperforming crops so as you mentioned the farm wasn't working out and she describes all of this and she describes episodes like they made coffee out of dandelions (laughs) and they resorted to trapping and eating chipmunks and squirrels um and apparently i like this quote Apparently, black squirrels, squirrels were best, and she wrote that they were the meat was equal to that of a rabbit. There we go. So, if you're ever needing rabbit meat, <laughs> Just find you're a not black squirrel. It. Yeah, find a black squirrel. Apparently, it's the same. Your, uh, your dinner guests will not be able to no, tell they, the difference. They can't tell the difference. No i detect a hint of squirrel no no no! Sir, no it's rabbit. It, is, it is rabbit <laughs> how dare you <laughs> what are you suggesting no unfortunately also at this time they resorted to this really got me they ended up killing and eating um their pet dog spot, oh God, spot. which is i know poor spot which i mean that shows you the it's pretty the, desperate circumstances yeah they yeah. were reduced to some pretty rough um circumstances yes. and um so you can see why her attitude to Canada at the time was not great. And she definitely, she's, she pulls no punches in writing about her feelings at the time. Her and her uh, her servant girl and her husband and just how they felt about this. She did not like Canada. She was not happy with it at all. It wasn't what it was supposed to be or what she thought it would be, I guess. And she was just miserable, understandably. So, um, That's part of why her, her writing about Canada is set apart from all of the other, you know, I'm sure tons of pieces that came out about how glorious Canada was because she was, she had this pessimistic attitude and she was telling it what, like it, like it was. And when Roughing It came out, there was a certain amount of criticism and offense taken by. Some um, pushback. Some pushback by Canadians who were offended by her rather dire portrayal of of the country um now and i don't know if that's completely fair because of course in the book she she writes things like um again as we're saying it's kind of retrospective and it, at a certain point i'm going to quote here she writes my love for canada was a feeling very nearly allied to that which the condemned criminal entertains for his cell <laughs> his only hope of escape being through the portals of the grave oh, so things like she writes things like that and people get <laughs> offended but to be fair later on in the in the book and actually not that far along i mean fairly early in the book she writes again we're seeing this reflective attitude she writes that now when not only reconciled to canada but loving it and feeling a deep interest in its present welfare and the fair prospect of its future greatness i often look back and laugh at the feelings with which i then regarded this noble country so she she was writing about how she felt at a certain time and place and i think her feelings were completely fair and justified (laughs) (laughs) given what they went through um and she took care to to really make sure people understood that later on she did come to love the country. And perhaps the backwoods of Canada just weren't for her. <laughs> yes. They wouldn't be for many a people. A lot of people. Yes. Some people thrived and yep. had a great experience. Not so much the Moody's. So fair enough. <laughs> Once she moved to yes. uh, this small town, she found that that life suited her much better and she came to love the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was reading something else about kind of... Um, the the critical reception in in all of the years since roughing it in the bush came out and like we said it's something that is studied in high schools and universities and a lot has been written about it um and um that's one of the things that is discussed that it kind of <laughs> she has this kind of very canadian attitude kind of this humble feeling about the country conflicted not the kind of brash nationalism that you sometimes <laughs> get do in, in the US, but are more kind of Canadian measured, pragmatic, slightly at times more pessimistic, um, attitudes toward the country. And I think that's partly why she so speaks to our national identity and our our national literature. I like
1: that. I mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah. And Margaret Atwood later wrote Yeah uh, The Life and Times of Susanna Moody. So, uh what was it called? It was, was it the, sorry. sorry. Misquoting
0: So, yes, exactly. And Margaret Atwood kind of continued this tradition. Uh, Again, for those of you who don't know, Margaret Atwood is a very well-known Canadian author, um, has written a lot of very famous novels over the years. And in 1970, she put put out a collection of poetry entitled The Journals of Susanna Moody. And she basically... um, and I, from what I understand, it's not just reflecting on roughing it in the bush, but reflecting on all of Susanna's yes. life. So mm-hmm. kind of before and and after that, and it's this series of poems that kind of modernize Susanna Moody's experience. Um, and again, I feel a little ashamed to say I've never read any of I them but nor i nor have i i intend to now Yes,
1: i agree and that really uh atwood's book really helped repopularize moody's book mm-hmm. as well because people were reading atwood's and going oh what's this original text and and sort of bringing it back into the literary canon for canadian literature so that was a positive for sure
0: oh absolutely absolutely so at in the afterword of the journals of Susanna moody um margaret atwood i think had a really nice quote um the way she was thinking about Susanna Moody. She writes that Susanna Moody has finally turned herself inside out and has become the spirit of the land she once hated. Hmm. Um, so as Margaret Atwood is kind of experience, or um, exploring the inner life of Susanna Moody, this is how she feels her progression goes, that she she suffers and she goes through this life-changing, really difficult experience and in the end comes to know herself and the country better and comes to as margaret atwood says embody the spirit of the country It's mm, neat it is we neat it's pretty nice it. yeah i think yeah. Susanna moody in a lot of ways is kind of very representative of the canadian experience or um some of the canadians yes. experience yes. and outlook
1: nice yeah okay all right so we'll just wrap up the end of her life the few yeah. last little details and uh um so she published roughing it in the bush during her lifetime and a number of other books as well um but then went through sort of a uh dry spell Mm -hmm. and uh, there were many years in belleville where she wasn't publishing after her initial literary flourishing when they arrived um and there were quite a few rough years in the 1860s for susanna and her husband john um john had lost his job as the sheriff and uh, they had to move to a small cottage um but before they did that Uh, John offered uh, one of his sons all of their property and all of their belongings in exchange for taking care of the two of them for for the rest of their lives. So sort of indefinitely um which seems like it would have been okay except they didn't care for his wife so they didn't care yeah. for their daughter-in-law and they didn't get along and when the son and daughter-in-law decided to emigrate to Delaware uh John and Susanna did not go with them so uh they ended up getting a little cottage just outside of uh, Belleville and and living a, a fairly impoverished life mm-hmm. uh, Susanna took up painting again she uh, had formerly painted a lot of flowers uh, as a child and and a young woman and started this again to bring in some supplemental income. Um so, you know, they didn't they didn't end in abject poverty, but it definitely was not easy and and her husband's uh health was declining mm-hmm. and so um he ended up passing away in 1869 um and after that she moved in with her son robert uh, and he lived in seaforth and later toronto and she was she would stay with friends in belleville as well she kind of moved around and stayed with a variety of people and at this point she had a large correspondence and and, you know was still enjoying life and very much still active and Mm -hmm. and, uh, well not well and
0: uh, because of her writings Mm -hmm. uh Fairly well-known.
1: Yes. And have many mm. connections. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, people on both sides of the American border and, and in England as well. So, so you know, sort of, a, I guess, an international influence, <laughs> in a, in a small-scale way. Um, and uh, so she, it seems to be sort of a pleasant you know, end of life. Um, and she passes away in 1885 in Toronto, and was brought back to Belleville to be buried with her husband. So you can go there today and, and visit their graves, and which I would um, like to do. I, I agree. Think. I was thinking that the next time I am in the Belleville area, I uh, would like to stop by. That'd be neat.
0: Yeah, it would be very. I'm sure there's a plaque. I'm sure. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> there's probably a plaque. <laughs> Always a plaque. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so Susanna Moody, she's uh, a very Canadian figure mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, and a pretty neat lady. And uh, I mean, even having known a certain amount about her and having read at least some of her work, um, I thought I knew, I guess, more than I did. It's always so cool, as you said at the top of the podcast, to discover all of these things about somebody that you already admired. Yes, I was um, pleased to learn so many yeah. other fascinating portions of her life. and, and A features. very complicated Mm-hmm. Um, intelligent well-educated um, literary woman. deeply feeling yes, yes. yeah um, witty witty woman and I would really recommend I mean it's widely kind of agreed that roughing in the bush is Susanna Moody's best work um, and I, I think you would too, probably highly recommend it. Absolutely. It's good reading. Yeah. Like it even is, now it's it, fun. It yeah, holds it's, up. Yes. It's, it's not a
1: dry. No, it's entertaining. she's got these crazy stories of yeah. neighbors and events and life in the bush. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's still it's, very fun to read.
0: It's quite funny. And her, if only for her depictions of these American neighbors, <laughs> they're quite amusing. It's quite the. Uh,
1: we will lure you to her book with with those tales of old Satan. Yes, <laughs> old
0: Satan. <laughs> Go back and read about old Satan. But yes, highly recommend, um, Susanna Moody's "Roughing It in the Bush." And uh, as always, I'll point out that um, if you're interested in learning more about Susanna Moody, you can um, you can look her up. You can also find. Uh, we will. As always, post some of the resources that we've used in researching this episode. And you can find those on our website, which is yesterladies.com. If you go to the page episodes, you will find uh, an audio recording of this episode as well as the other resources that we use. I would also encourage you to get in touch with us through email at yesterladies at or on Twitter where you can find us at the handle at yesterladies. And on Facebook where we are Facebook dot com slash yesterladies. So so many ways to get in touch with us. You can't like not get in touch with us. I know it's impossible. many venues. There's so many ways for you to get in touch with us. (laughs) So please do. We'd love to hear feedback. Um, Helpful, kind criticism is very much welcomed (laughs) as are, you know, professions of undying love. We like them both. Naturally. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And we should point out that we are always looking for topic suggestions. So if you've got a woman in history or a topic, topic related to women in history that you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. We'll definitely add it to our list. And we really want to know what what you would like to hear about. We've received a, a couple great ones mm-hmm. from listeners so far. So, so we, we've we, got a long list ourselves. We but do. We, we do. can't think of everything. So <laughs> we want to hear from you. What would you like to hear from us? And I will just close by saying, please subscribe to us on iTunes or through whatever podcast app you like to use. And if you do subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, we would encourage you to rate and review us. That would really help us out. So uh, once again, I'm Dana. And I'm Heather. And thank you for listening. Thanks.